This week on Writers Inc. You know, when I when I quit my my day job in order to become a full-time writer, you know, I sort of naively thought, well, you know, I can leave my real job on Friday and on Monday I'll be a, I'll be a writer and it it took me longer than than that to change gears mentally and then also I remember my first few books were all written in the first person and then I switched to writing a book um in the third person and again I just thought it would be you know an instant switch and and it wasn't it took me quite a while to adjust to what was needed to make the third person storyline work and so you know yeah I think I probably there's a danger that I would kind of naively rush in and think oh yeah I can be reacher you know weekdays and the janitor weekends I, I think I would I would just tie myself in knots so if I do it I want to make sure that I've got a big enough block of time that I allow for that you know, the, the overhead of, of changing gear mentally and moving from one voice to another. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories. All have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the bestseller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. Hey, Zach, I hear you got a house guest on the way. I do. I'm about to be vegetarian for like five days, I guess. So <laughs> Five days? God, is he it, moving in? You would think so. I think it's like four. He's yeah, like five days. He's coming. Yeah, he must really no. love his wife and family. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited. Yeah, my writer buddy uh, and uh, past guest of the show, T.W. Piper Brook, is uh, uh, on his way into town. Probably as we speak. I think he's at the airport. So um, and coming to hang out with me for a few days, and uh, it's gonna be fun. He's coming from uh, kind of near JD's neck of the woods. He's in. He's uh, about. 45 minutes from Hartford in Connecticut up there. So he's not too far from you. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, it's, it's gonna be fun. So we're gonna, we're gonna do some work over the next few days, like sitting, he's, he's got a book he's working on and, you know, we're gonna do some brainstorming and some masterminding and we're going to see smashing pumpkins on Monday night. So should be, okay. should be pretty fun. Can you have him do me a huge favor and just put some something up on your walls behind you, like a, a poster, a picture? I don't care. It, it could be Britney Spears there. I don't care what you put up there. Just something. That, Dude, that if you want to come me. and fill all the holes in my walls whenever I move out of this place, I will put stuff all over the wall. It's it actually is starting to annoy me that nothing's on the walls. I, I could build some bookcases. I know how to do that. <laughs> I have bookcases downstairs. I just this room is just totally. But empty. don't accept that offer. He'll fill them all with JD Barker books. Uh, <laughs> Par for the true. course, man. You want you want the bookcase? You got to take the the book. Yeah. Before we were going on air, he's like, "Man, I've been having trouble finding something to read," and I'm like, "That's because all you got is JD Barker books back there behind you." <laughs> That's, you've read all those. <laughs> I'm going to start picking up my, my foreign editions and try and struggle through Russian or something to see if I can, <laughs> if I can do it. We, I don't know. Maybe I'll put something on the walls because I've been, I've been thinking. Of, I, I miss having all my book covers I had at my old place, you know, but uh, I just I just don't want to mess with. I, I need to. I'm sure there's other ways you can hang stuff without putting holes in the wall Dude, like you with just adhesive go, you, hooks or something. You get a tube of toothpaste and just just when you leave, you pull out the hole and you just with the toothpaste, you fill them back in. Eh, maybe I, maybe I'll do something like that. So Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm the a-hole. I, like, I left my apartments with like the TV mount still on the wall and <laughs> stuff in the refrigerator. <laughs> glad glad yeah, to hear I'm somebody out there cleans that. up before they do that. But yeah, I, I was yeah, terrible so, about that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll surprise you one day and have something on the wall behind me. All right. Um, it's, it's tech day at our house. Like, we've got um, all kinds of crazy tech stuff going on. I actually got a robot dog from Amazon. Oh, you did oh, so get that? that. You, you yeah, did get that. Yeah, the Amazon Astro. Um, so this thing is both creepy. Um, how disappointed was your daughter? <laughs> she actually loves it. Oh, okay, because like, she can. It'll like chase her and play hide and seek, and like it does a lot of the stuff that a real dog does, but not quite. You know, like it's just sort of there. Like it actually stands at the dinner table when we're eating, like next to us, and and bobs its head around like it's begging for food. Um, so it's it's crazy, like the amount of personality they built into it. Like it's that that part of it to me is, is seriously impressive. Um, the unboxing process was pretty strong too, and like I don't know how many of these things they sent out, but it's it's basically an invite only thing. So this is kind of the first time they put it out there in the public. So you know we're, I've got a, a form I have to fill out when I run into any problems or comments or things like that, and I guess that goes to some developer or in a trash can or whatever. Um, but like the setup was was fairly you know you, you plug it in, it immediately turned on. Um, it didn't have to charge; it came with a charge, um, and then it said I'd like to explore your house, and then it basically just I'm ran sure from it room would. to room. <laughs> yeah, but sure. what, what got me. Is with its camera this, on. Yeah. yeah, with the camera. Yeah, because Bezos needed to record everything. Um, what got me was how fast it was. Like, this thing moves at about five miles an hour, um, and it didn't run into anything. You know, like, you know, ro- if you've got a robot vacuum and stuff, like, they bounce off of the walls, and they hit toys. Like, if you've got something with a string on the floor, forget about it. Or dog poop with a robot vacuum is a very interesting thing, if you've ever run into that one. Um, but, like, th- this thing, like, it immediately just shot from room to room, and it would stand in the middle of the room and basically move its head around. And it's got two cameras. It's got one built into the head and another one that can actually come up like a periscope, um, which is creepy as all get out. Um, but it took about 15 minutes to do um, our, our one floor. It, can, it only goes on, you know, I can't do stairs. So about 2,500 square feet in about 15 minutes. Um, and then after it did that, it went back to each room and it, it basically asked me what the name of that room is. You know, so what, what do you want to call this room? And then it would go to the next one. What do you want to call this room? And it did that for each room. And it, it totally identified every room. You know, even with a robot vacuum, a lot of times you got to draw those walls in and kind of tell it where to go. Um, and then we had to enroll people. So it, it, it basically it knew who I was. I guess it has access to our Amazon account. Um, so, you know, I'm on there. My wife is on there. My daughter is on there. Um, so it popped my name on the screen. I had to do like um, two or three sentences I had to read off. So it would get my vocal patterns. And then it takes like pictures of your, your face so it could actually recognize you. You're um, so, right now. You're your fingerprints yeah yeah a little little blood sample you know through the needle in its tail that kind of thing um so it did me and it did my daughter um and then we kind of played with it for the rest of the night um and you know i kind of just let it go like it it, it completely finds this charger all by itself you don't have to touch it it doesn't get stuck um like all the things i expected it you know they've somehow worked through that which is really impressive from a tech standpoint um but i've got a, a ring alarm system you know like i'm totally amazon stuff in here so we've got echoes all over the place we've got ring alarms so window sensors like the entire alarm is, is set up through that um um, and it's set up to turn itself on at nine o'clock. So at nine o'clock, my house locks up. All my doors, if they're unlocked, they lock up. Um, the alarm automatically switches into to home mode, um, you know, so that we just don't have to think about it. Um, apparently, Astro does, too. He switches into this like patrol security dog when the alarm goes on, um, which I didn't know about. So my wife and I were up uh, in the theater and we're watching a movie um, and she you know, gets tired and she decides it's time to go to bed. And I'm, I'm figured I'm going to stay up there. I usually hang out for another half hour or so. Uh, but she goes downstairs and the robot dog comes whipping 
it around a corner with its camera sticking up and basically <laughs> stops her in the hallway because we never enrolled her. So like to the dog, she's, she's a stranger. <laughs> so it's got, you know, it's like, it's got this camera sticking up. There's like red lights on and it looks scary as all get out. You know, like all it's missing is a you know big machine gun on its back and it, it's basically flagging her as an intruder. And there's a countdown on the screen ready to set off the alarm system. <laughs> so like I have to go down there and talk the dog down. Dude, that um, is crazy. Yeah. So good points and bad points, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, but I, I am seriously impressed. If you get a chance, go out on YouTube or whatever. I'm sure there's tons of videos for these things already. You can, you know, drop a beer in its little tray in the back and say, hey, take this to mom over, you know, in the sitting room or something. And the dog will run over there and give it to her. And um, it's been playing with my daughter and she hasn't asked me for a real dog since we got it, which is a, a win for me. She, when you do get a real dog, she's going to expect to unbox it. You know? <laughs> You, no, what she's going to expect when when the real dog starts digging in her her toys, you know, she can't tell it to go to its charger, <laughs> which she can do yeah. with this one. I'm going to get you a sign for your front door. That says, "Beware of dog." It might make you watch the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon Prime. It might. <laughs> I've been seriously waiting for that because it's got like a screen on the front, you know, for its face. Um, but it's it's basically just eyes watching like all the time, like bouncing around on there. But it, it, it'll work as an Alexa. So if you ask it something, like it can you know show you stuff on that screen, oh. watch TV on that screen. It'll play music for you and follow you around the house. Um, but yeah, I was I've been just watching for, like, you poop and I saw you write a toilet paper. <laughs> Would you like me to order you some more? That's the kind of thing I was waiting on. You know, like a, a lock screen to show up you know with like a, an ad for yeah for the latest lord of the rings or something that's but, so funny yeah. James yeah. Patterson book. <laughs> so aside from that um yeah i saw a video from elon musk i guess tesla's got a humanoid robot that they unveiled this week so it's like it's robot week and then i was just about to log in for this and i read a story about bruce willis have you guys seen this one yet yeah but i i heard that that's been that's disputed uh, but the oh, deep fake I, I yeah i think they can his someone in his camp came out and said that's not true he didn't sell anything Oh, okay. company. Well, no, I didn't see it, anything about any of this. Yeah, so the, the story was that Bruce Willis, you know, obviously he's 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 ill right now and he's not yeah. acting anymore. Um, the story was that he sold his likeness to a deep fake company and is allowing them to use it for commercials and and other things. You know, basically a licensing deal um, for for his image. Um, I know there is a commercial out there in Europe somewhere where where they actually did that. Um, and you know, obviously they're doing it in movies and stuff like that. If, if the story itself is fake or not true, like I would not be surprised if this actually becomes a real thing because it, it makes perfect sense. You know, like yeah. if you think about musicians right now, how many of them are licensing their catalog out? Um, you know, it's, it's basically the same thing. You know, you get towards the end of your career and say, well, how do I keep this going? And, you know, so, you know, 200 years from now, they may be watching Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger and the same people we have now. Like there, there might not be a new crop of actors anymore. We might be stuck with the crop that we've got now. Well, I, I I'm thinking like two years, 200 years. I'm thinking like two weeks. Uh, I don't know if you guys are paying <laughs> any attention to the uh, what's happening with the AI generative art. It is it's blowing up like it is. It's developing so fast. There's a um, there's the Dolly 2 and there's Mid Journey. Um, and there there are a few other of these AI engines and the art they're creating is unbelievable. I was playing with Dolly 2 the other day and I put in a text prompt and it, it came up with a piece of art that looked like it was designed by a, a human. Like it, it's, it's crazy how quickly this is happening and it's basically free. And, uh, and I don't, I don't like have any issue with people using AI as, as a tool in that way. But I, one of the things that is, is starting to come to the surface, which is, I mean, you know, the cat's out of the bag now, it doesn't really matter, but you know, these, these engines went out and they, they, these bots scanned all of these images of copyrighted work and they, and they didn't get permission for it. 
And that's what they're using to generate the images that you create with a text prompt. So this, I mean, like IP law and copyright protection, like it's, I think 10 years from now, it's going to look radically different. Like I can't see existing copyright law lasting 10 more years in, in this current environment. I had the same discussion with one of the parents for um, over at my my daughter's school a couple, I guess about a week or two ago, um, and he brought up a good point. You know, like our kids right now are in school for the first time. You know, they're reading books that are copyrighted and owned by somebody else. They're being shown pictures that were drawn, painted, you know, designed, created by somebody else. They're basically, you know, and they may become an artist, you know, based on that. Um, so I, I get that the material that the AIs were shown was copyrighted, but at the same time, that's how we teach, you know, humans. Um, so they're basically following that same model. The, I mean, the real difference is obviously the, the speed that they're able to do this. And, you know, they don't forget, you know, things don't go off into the back corners of their mind. Um, you know, everything is always there in the forefront. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy. But I'm guessing like that, that is the type of argument that would probably be made if this kind of thing ever makes it to the, you know, the big courts. Yeah, that's, well, in, it, that, yeah, that's an interesting point to yeah. bring up. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's coming. Uh, like, I don't, yeah. we're not going to get on the rabbit hole of AI stuff right now, obviously, but like, I've, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, my thoughts are changing almost on a monthly basis. You know, like I, I've gone back and forth. Um, I, I was having a conversation with our old buddy, Jim Kukrell about, cause he was like, Oh, how long is it going to be before, you know, the AI writes a book? I'm like, AI has probably already written a book yeah. and we don't even know it yet. Um, but, and I said to him, I said, you know, I guess I'm a purist that kind of bothers me. Like I can't do anything about it, but like, and he's like, well, why does it bother you? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, isn't that what ghostwriters do? And I was like, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> you like, you know, he had a good point. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because actually memory something made me think of something I wanted to bring up to you guys that's totally related. Um, but I, was, I traveled down to see my parents this last weekend. And um, of all places I was in, I, um, I stopped in Batesville, Mississippi at a, at a fast food restaurant to, to order. And an AI took my order. Have either of you guys had that happen yet? No. So, so yeah, it freaked me out because it was like, it was clearly an AI. Like she sounded like I, I could tell it was, just, it's just like when your Amazon device talks to you. And, um, and, but I kind of froze cause I didn't know how to order to this thing. I was like, is it going to catch every, is there someone on the other side or whatever? Like to actually type in my order. And I was just like, you know, I ordered my food for my daughter. I was like, you know, I want a number three kids meal or whatever with like only ketchup pickles all or whatever i don't like i gave it very specific instructions in order just like with somebody else man it picked it up with 100 percent accuracy and everything was good and when i got to the window i asked them i was like did that thing just take my or like were you guys writing it down she's like no it, it here's everything you say and complete and accurately takes your order and then we just make it and bring it to you and it was a. Uh, it was crazy because, again, I was like, I didn't know how to talk to it, but I just talked to it normal and it caught everything I said. It was yeah. it was nuts. That's kind of when I was in uh, Europe, um, you know, a lot of the restaurants had switched to like iPads and tablets and things like that for their menus um, or you just you know scan a QR code with your phone because of COVID. Um, but one of the things I absolutely loved about that is I could order in English. You know, like if you travel mm. to a foreign country, there's oh, nothing yeah. more frustrating Good than call. looking at a menu and not knowing like, you know, like where's the freaking hamburger, you know, cause I can't read what's in front of me. Um, but yeah, so like you could, you could do that in English. Um, you know, there's, there's so many conveniences to it. Um, I was part of a demo when I was in um, Spain uh, that Facebook did for the, the metaverse and we had a meeting um, with basically a virtual conference room um, and everybody attended using their, their, their glasses and it, it translated in real time. 
Um, so like we could speak whatever language we wanted to, as long as we were in that meeting, we could see it, you know, in our, in our home language. Um, That's cool. That kind of stuff is fascinating. And I it's awesome. Yeah. There, and there's actual glasses coming out fairly shortly <clears throat> from a couple different companies that could do that in real time, you know, just walking down the street. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of good points to it, but you know, the flip side is somebody's going to take a machine gun and mount it to my robot dog at some point, and it's going to become <laughs> self-aware, and we're all going to be serving these things, and you know, according to Jay, within the next two years. No, two weeks. Two uh, weeks. <laughs> well, I, I was going to email you this, JD, but I thought it, um, it might be good to to ask you um, on because I think other people might might benefit from it. Um, go, coming back to humanity, uh, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not close. I, I'm getting closer to um, uh, getting ready to to uh, for a beta read. And I was wondering if you could just quickly review your beta reader process because I remember when you explained it on on air the first time. I really liked it, and it, it and I want to do that, but I couldn't quite remember what it was. Um, sure. Um, so my beta readers, first of all, none of them are writers. They're, they're all readers. Um, one of them is a woman who gave me a one-star review on Forsaken, my very first book. Um, I roped her in and she's been reading them ever since. Um, I try to get uh, like some diversity as far as skill sets, you know, in the people that are reading. Um, another one of my beta readers, she's autistic. And what I love about her is like, I'm the only fiction author she actually reads. Everything else is all tech manuals because she does, you know, crazy high highbrow stuff. Um, but like she can remember everything. If I use a, you know, two, three words, a phrase, you know, on page 23 and I use it again on page 487. She remembers that and she, she flags it, um, which is awesome, you know, because there's, I, I tend to do that. I get my brain latches onto one phrase or whatever, and it just repeats in the book over and over again. You know, like in the latest one I'm, I'm writing right now, I've got characters that are just eyeing this and eyeing that and eyeing that. And, you know, it works. It's fine if you do it once or twice, but like, I know I'm doing it too much. So I make notes for myself, but like she catches the ones that I don't catch. Um, so that's useful. Um, for me, a lot of it comes down to pacing too. So I give everybody a printed copy. I, I never let anybody review the book electronically. Um, I give them a triple spaced, um, give them plenty of room to write um, paper copy. I usually print them through Lulu um, and then just ship them out because um, it's just cheaper and easier and you can just send a Word doc um, and, and get it done. Um, I have them go through and they can make whatever notes that they want. Um, and aside from typos, I have them um, mark a couple of things for me. Any place that they find themselves skimming, um, I tell them to break out the highlighter and just highlight those passages. I want to know where they're, they're getting bored. Um, and the other thing that's key for me is I always tell them to mark where they close the book, um, you know, where they feel it's comfortable, a good spot to put it down. And I don't care if it's because they have to go and pick up their kids from school or they got to make dinner or it's time to get ready for work or whatever. I still want to know where they're closing the cover on that book. Um, and then when I get all those back and I, I've got six of them, so then I just take all the paper copies and just lay them out on my desk and just, you know, start at page one and just start working my way through. Um, you know, if, if one person flags one thing, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of take it with a grain of salt. And if I agree with what they're saying, I'll make the change. Um, but otherwise I'll, I'll tend to let it go and just kind of go with my gut. If two or three people flag the same thing as a problem, you know, whether it's a story related or this character wouldn't say this, like that kind of thing, um, then, you know, I take it to heart because if multiple people are flagging it, it's, it's worth you know, reviewing. Um, but I think the key in all of that is just not to use writers, um, use, use actual readers because writers just tend to dig a lot deeper and they tend to think about things that, you know, aren't necessarily going to affect the reader. Um, you know, it's the same reason I don't use, you know, full blown editors at this point of the process or even my agent, like she reads it and I let her, you know, I get her feedback on it or on everything, but it's those readers that, that really help me shape the book. So quick follow-up. Uh, I love the drop shipping from Lulu idea. That's, that's great. How do you then get it back? Cause I was thinking you would send them a self-addressed envelope with postage on it. So are they, you're, they're just sending it back and you're reimbursing them for the postage or? No, I, I give everybody a month. Um, it's key to give them a time frame. 
um, because otherwise it will sit. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how big of a fan or friend and stuff they are. They'll put it aside unless they know they've got a deadline. So I give them a time frame. I give everybody a month um, and I send them a FedEx label. Um, ah, okay. You know, that's, that's the easiest way that, you know, it's, it's like 10 bucks to get it back, but at least this way I know where it is and I know I'm going to get it. Perfect. Yeah, that's smart. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. Like I said, I was, uh, I, I know there were some nuances in there and I couldn't quite remember them. So it's, it's good that we have it on tape again. <laughs> All right, well, let's take care of some business. And we got a, we got a great guest, uh, as always this week. I want to first mention that if you are digging our new website, uh, head on over to wordandpixel.com and check it out. Uh, we were uh, really pleased with the work that, that uh, Todd did on that. So check it out. Also, Kobo Writing Life empowers you, the author, to take your self-publishing career into your own hands. So if you are taking a book wide uh, and you want to be in many countries, you want to set your price, you want to keep your, your rights, and you want to do that all without any exclusivity, then you have to go to KoboWritingLife.com. There'll be a link in the show notes uh, if you are looking at those. Okay, JD, who's up this week? Um, we've got Andrew Child back. He's going to tell us about the latest Jack Reacher book uh, called No Plan B, and it comes out October 25th. Here he is, Andrew Child. Andrew, so great to have you back on the podcast. Uh, you know, it's um, it's always nice to have a return guest because we've gotten past the, the getting to know you chat. So uh, we, we can jump right in. Um, there's a new Jack Reacher book coming out October 25th. Tell us about it. That's right. And first of all, thanks. Thanks for having me back on, on the show. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk. And it's great to get the chance to catch up. So yeah, the, the next reach out, it's the, um, what, the 27th altogether. It's the third one that I worked on with my brother. Uh, and it does come out on October 25th. And uh, we just had a blast. We had an absolute blast writing it. Um, it starts out uh, with Reacher in a little town in Colorado. And uh, he's he goes actually because he wants to go and see um, an exhibition about the Civil War. So he he shows up in town, he does that, and then he's ready to leave again, get back on the road. And um, he sees what most people think is an accident. He sees a woman get hit by a bus and killed. But uh, he, yeah, everyone else, all the other witnesses say she jumped. The police want to close the case as a suicide because it's easy and quick. But Risha saw what really happened. He saw that someone pushed her. And so he is determined to uh, to make sure that uh, the bad guys don't get away with it. So he starts tugging at threads. And uh, pretty soon the whole tapestry comes unfurled. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's the beginning of another wild ride for Reacher. And it winds up with him in Mississippi, getting up to all kinds of mischiefs. So uh, we had great fun writing it. And I hope you guys enjoy reading it because uh, it was a blast. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Uh, I didn't get the arc in time for the interview, so I'm going to have my Kindle ready on October 25th because uh, it's like it's like a tradition, you know. You got to get the new Reacher book on on your device and, and fired up. Uh, the choice to set that in Colorado. T talk a little bit about that. Well, what we always do when we when we start the new book, and this is something that Lee's been doing for years, is that you know we we don't get involved with a, a big detailed outline. What we want to do is we start with almost like a kind of a sense or a feeling, uh, sometimes a, an idea of, a, of an opening scene, sometimes a line of dialogue, just something that is a kind of stake in the ground that we then use to, to build the story around. And we we have this idea of this accident that um, most people mis misinterpreted, but only Reacher saw. And so 
for for whatever reason there's no necessarily no rhyme or reason to it we we just imagined it happening in this sort of small neat tidy um very pretty little town and um We'd, we'd seen some like that in Colorado. Um, you know, we live just one state further north in Wyoming. Um, we go down there quite often. <clears throat> and it just seemed like the, the 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 kind of setting that had the right feeling for the mood that we wanted in that opening in that opening scene. Yeah, I, I remember uh, that, that you two lived not that far apart from each other in the West. And I figured that Colorado's Seemed like there there might have been some uh, local connection there. Were there any sort of research trips or driving that was involved in this? Well, not specifically, because what we tend to do when it comes to research is, you know, we both have this feeling that um, if you, you can you, you can do some kinds of research for for the current book you're writing on, you know, if it's a detail or a fact, you know, how many bullets can the magazine hold on a particular kind of gun? What kind of engine is there in a particular kind of car? you know sure you can you can check those details but for the bigger stuff um we feel that that has to be something that you've you've come across quite a long time before so that you've got time to to kind of mull it over you've got time to percolate you know it, it's like that iceberg analogy you know anything that you learn about kind of 90 percent of it is not going to be useful for for the book but you don't know which which 10 percent you want you've got to have time for it to to uh to be at the back of uh, of your brain, you know, kind of percolating, and you know, it's kind of I liken it a little bit to if you want to, if you want something to drink with your dinner, you can go and pick some grapes, and you can have grape juice right away. But if you want it to be a beautiful bottle of wine, then that takes time to mature, and it's like that with with the research. So. Um, Everywhere that we've used the settings, they're all places that we've been, places that we we know a little bit, but they're there in the back of your mind so that when you think to yourself, right, I'm looking for a setting, you know, like I described for this little town, something pings, you know, in your memory and you think, oh, yeah, I remember going to such and such a place. And then we will, you know, not necessarily describe the exact town because you know it's not a travel guide you know it's a, it's a novel so we can we can tweak it and we can customize it a little bit to fit the story the way that we want but the the feeling and the sense is something that's been mulling out mulling away at the back of our minds for a while and then comes to the fore when, when it's needed love it yeah i think that that really makes sense i i, I don't think i've heard research described that way before about the uh you know, the, the grape juice versus the wine, like, uh, you know, it depends on what, on what you want. Right. And, and sometimes you might want grape juice, but, um, maybe you don't, maybe you want wine. And so, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a great approach. I like that. Uh, as you mentioned, this is the the third book that you and your brother, have, uh, the third reacher book that you and your brother have worked on together. What's, what's that process been like? Um, has it changed? Uh, has it evolved? Is it stayed the same for all three books? Yeah, that's a great question because you know when we when we decided that we were going to collaborate, neither of us had really done anything like this before. You know, we're both very stubborn. We're both very kind of you know clear about the you know what we want to achieve and how. And you know, neither of us ever had much of a reputation as working well with others. So <laughs> you know, it was an interesting experiment. And um, then it became doubly interesting because. The first book that we wrote together, The Sentinel, we started it right before the pandemic started. And then, of course, it, that kicked in and everything everything changed. So we kind of 
had felt our way to a method of, you know, he would come over to my house, we would sit in my office, and we would we would kick ideas around and, and decide what to do. But then we both traveled a bit over Christmas and the new year, and then the pandemic started, and we tried to be conscientious about not exposing each other to, you know, potential, you know, infections. So then we changed our method. And we started to email the document back and forth. And surprisingly, that turned out to be a better way for us to work because what was happening before, um, you know, you can imagine, you know, you get together in the morning and um, maybe you've written something the, the night before. You can't help but to kind of introduce it. You know, you can't help but say, well, this is how it follows on from the previous scene. This is why I think it's important. This is where I think it's going to go next. Um, you can't help but do that. And then when you've heard that, you cannot read it with fresh eyes because, you know, the, the explanation is, is in your head already. And so that isn't what happens when you buy a book or you get a book from the library, is it? You've only got the words on the page and they have to either stand on their own or they or not, you know, hopefully they do. So when all you had was a document appeared on your computer and you, you, you all you had was the words on the page. And so it was actually a much better way to do it because it was quicker if something wasn't working properly it was immediately obvious you didn't have to kind of dance around that for a while before figuring it out so we found that that worked surprisingly we were disappointed at not being able to get together because it's fun to you know hang out with your brother but it actually worked really well for the sentinel so we kept going with that for the for better off dead the second one and we kept going with it with with no plan b so um the method stayed the same but i think it ha you know in terms of how we implemented it that definitely has evolved because we've got more comfortable working with one another we've got you know we've overcome that awkwardness that you might have initially to say no I don't like that I don't think that works I, I think we should go in a different direction you know we're used to that now and um you know I'm I'm a little bit more used to what you have to do to construct the sentences and the language in the same way that he had done for so long and that is very distinctive when it comes to a reacher book so um you know same same method but i just think a little bit smoother and more streamlined and more efficient than it than it had been before great great yeah it sounds like you're, you're kind of learning as you go and learning the best methods between the two of you and and that's that's really all that matters in that situation uh so is there a I don't want to call it a plan, but is there an intention that at some point it reacher is all yours? And and uh, have you guys talked about that and how that might look? Well, yeah, we have talked about it. I don't think we have reached a final conclusion yet because um, the the initial idea absolutely was to use these these first four to act as a sort of uh, as a process of, of handing the baton from one to the other so it, that was that was certainly the intention from the beginning um and I, I would still be quite totally happy if that's the way that we go but you know when we came up with that idea we, we hadn't worked together before and we didn't know if we'd like it <laughs> and um 
we've actually we've actually had a blast it's been really really good fun and um you know we, we've been very happy with the books that we've we've produced so you know we're kind of at that cusp now where part of us is thinking yeah we should continue with the plan you know make it a transition hand over hand over to me because you know lee does want to retire you know he, he does want to have some time to himself just to enjoy himself so part of us thinks yeah we we should stick with the plan but part of us thinks wait a minute it's really fun and it's working so um so why change it so uh, we're gonna have to we've, we've, we're already working on the fourth one so we're gonna have to really sort of sit down at the end of that with with um perhaps with our editors as well and just you know really thrash out where we go next so you know that's a great question um i wish i knew the answer <laughs> but you know probably within the next few months we'll uh, we'll we'll figure it out yeah, I, I'm sure it's it's something that you're considering. I'm sure it's a question you, you're you're answering quite a bit these days. I, I might like to extend it even a little bit further and and say for you specifically, Andrew, do you see Jack Reacher becoming uh, similar to a James Bond franchise where at some point you may hand it over or or folks might be re- uh, writing Reacher for decades to come? Well, you know, I hope it. I hope it keeps going. Um, you know, I haven't looked much. I haven't thought much further ahead than, um, you know, how. You know, I, I would like to keep going for for as long as I can. You know, I, I'm loving it, and um, it, it's really fun. So I want to. I want to keep going for as long as possible. What happens when uh, when I run out of steam? I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? Some somebody else picking it up, but you know. Lee was sort of very clear that that either he wanted me to do it or he wanted it to stop because he felt that the way he describes it is, you know, in the writing process, um, some of it is skill and craft that you can learn over time. But when it comes down to capturing a particular character, you know, there's this sort of element almost of, of madness involved in it you know it comes from nowhere it's it's somehow a product of your imagination your dna your life experience your outlook and he felt that mine was similar enough to his <clears throat> for it to work but you know whether there's any, anybody else that has that you know that extra you know four or five percent that just tips it over the over the edge i don't know so uh, you know We'll, we'll we'll have to we'll have to find out on that one. But like I say, I'm selfishly I want to I want to keep going myself as long as possible. So I'm hoping we're not going to confront that one for a while. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I I think there's um, I think there's a bit of magic involved. You know, I, I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Uh, you know, Lee has been living with Jack Reacher for decades, and 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 you share the DNA with Lee, and and there's. There's something in there. Uh, you know, I, I had a conversation with a friend one time who was saying that ACDC plays some of the most straight ahead rock and roll music that that's ever been recorded. And yet no one sounds like ACDC. They can play the chords the exact same way and at the same tempo. And yet it's it's not them. And I I have to believe that there's some element of, of that within Jack Reacher that would be missing if it weren't one of you guys writing it. Well. Thank you. I, I hope you're right. But, you know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And ACDC is a great example of that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so is, um, I, I, you know, Lee is, Lee is famous for his stance on outlines. And I know we touched a little bit upon this in, in our first conversation, but I would have to think that in a co-writing situation, 
there, there might have to be a little bit more structure or maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you, you mentioned emailing files back and forth, but maybe prior to that, is there some sort of plan involved? Not really. And that, that was again, a big adjustment for me because I, I was never a really extensive outliner, but I, I did always have more of an idea where, where I was going with the story than, than Lee, Lee does. Um, because you know he used to joke that he he didn't plan, but that wasn't really totally true. I think a more accurate thing to, way to describe it is that he didn't do all the planning at one go up front, and then sort of just for the next few months follow follow the plan that had been written. You know, he I, I call it more like a distributed planning method where you, you go through this constant cycle of saying what happens next, deciding that, writing that, and then go back to the beginning, what happens next? And I like that. I mean, it was it was a little scary to start off with it because it was like walking the, the high wire, but without your safety net, because, you know, you had nothing to fall back on if you, if you weren't sure what happened next. You just had to figure it out in the same way that you had to take that next step on the, on the high wire. So it was, it was a little scary, but I've got used to it now. And I think that there are some real benefits because it leads to, you know, the, the writing in the Reacher books is very sort of bold and very confident. And I think that comes from the fact that, you know, you have to make every footstep count. You can't re rely on something catching you if you if you mess it up. And also it means that every decision that the characters make as the story progresses is going to be taken in almost in real time, because I think there's a danger with outlining that <clears throat> when you're looking down, kind of sketching out the, the story, you can quite easily just be at one degree off in this decision and another degree off in that decision and another degree off in that decision. You don't really notice it when you're taking this bird's eye view, doing that outline. But then as you're going through the story, those one degree here, one degree there, they add up until finally you're going in completely the wrong direction and you're having to really contrive the story to, to and contrive the character's decisions to meet that predetermined plan. And what, what that, doesn't, that, that's, that doesn't happen to us because we're making those decisions one at a time. We're not then having to say, well, okay, we're going to have to go in this direction because four or five chapters ahead, we know we have to be in a certain spot. And um, I did kind of waste some time when we were doing the Sentinel because I would kind of feel uncomfortable and I would secretly be trying to you know sketch out some some future stuff and of course it didn't work out at all it was completely wasted I had all of these ideas about settings and about where the book would finish and ideas for kind of climactic scenes and none of them none of them ended up in the book because um you know you can't really tell Richard where to go he goes where he wants and so I learned from that you know even you just got to live with the discomfort and actually use that to you know make sure that you're at the at the top of your game and that your decision making is is as fine tuned as possible. So yeah, that that, that was definitely the biggest learning curve for me um, as we've gone through is is just trusting that you're going to make good decisions and trusting that it will take the story in the right direction. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I I think I'm in a process now where I'm doing something very similar. You know, I don't have an outline. I have some tentpole scenes possibly, and I'll write a few scenes and then I circle back to the plan and revise it. And then, cause like you said, you get a one degree or off here and one degree off here. And by the end you're 40 or 50 degrees off, which is not at all where, where you intended to go. And, and so you have to be, um, you know, very, very careful 
as you go. But I think too, it's, it's frightening to see that all that white space, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> whether you're looking at the, uh, the manuscript itself or, or your, your planning documents, all that white there, you know, you, I think it's human nature to kind of want to rush in and fill that. And it's hard to fight that impulse. It is absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I didn't fight it strongly enough in, in, at the beginning, you know, and I did wind up spinning my wheels and, you know, maybe some of those ideas will, will, will be things I can use in the future. Who knows, but they certainly didn't fit into the, the book, but I thought they would. So yeah, you've, you've just got to really be disciplined about that and say, yeah, it is scary, but you're going to do it anyway. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what about your stuff, your, your solo stuff, so to speak, uh, your, your own writing? What's, what's the status of that? Um, are you working on anything? Do you plan on working on anything um, for yourself? I certainly do. And thanks for asking that because, you know, I was working on a series before I, I came on board with my brother that I was really enjoying. I was, I was really loving doing it. I felt like it was some of the best stuff that I've done on my own. And um, I've got plenty more ideas for it. And I really do want to keep going with it. But um, I haven't made a great deal of progress with it recently, because Reacher just has has taken up all my time. So um, I really do hope to get back to that one day. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's on the immediate horizon, unfortunately, but I I would absolutely love it if I if I could figure out a way of making it work. Yes. Yeah. I would imagine even if you had the time, uh, it would be difficult to juggle those two, a Reacher project and, and one of your books at the same time. I, 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 there might be some sort of mental fatigue in trying to switch back and forth between those. I think you're right. And I think it's, you know, a trap I've fallen into occasionally in the past because, um, you know, when I when I quit my my day job in order to become a full-time writer, um, you know, I sort of naively thought, well, you know, I can leave, I can leave my, my, my real job on Friday and on Monday, I'll be a, I'll be a writer. And it, it took me longer than, than that to change gears mentally. And then also I remember when I, when I, I, I wrote my first few books were all written in the first person. And then I switched to writing a book, um, in the third person. And again, I just thought it would be, you know, an instant switch and and it wasn't it took me quite a while to adjust to what was needed to make the third person storyline work and so you know yeah I think I've probably there's a danger that I would kind of naively rush in and think oh yeah I can be Reacher on Monday you know Reacher you know weekdays and the janitor weekends I, I think I would I would just tie myself in knots so um if if I do it I want to make sure that I've got a big enough block of time that I allow for that you know, the, the overhead of, of changing gear mentally and moving from one voice to another. So uh, hopefully I'll, I'll learn from the past and, and uh, you know, make sure that I've got enough time on my hands to do a decent job. Yeah. Well, you're lit- you would literally be moving from one voice to another. I mean, I, I think like I, I don't want to I don't want to gloss over that. I think what you're doing with with Reacher, even with Lee, even collaborating with him is is really impressive because you are you're writing in a voice that isn't natively your own. You're his brother, but like, it's not natively your voice. And so I think there's a, there's an additional layer of complexity involved in what you're doing that, that uh, is just very impressive. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that because I think trying to sound 
like him because you know his voice is very distinctive and it is part of how those books work you know the way that they grab you at the beginning and they keep hold of you right through to the very end you know the, that's not an accident you know that's that that happened because he was so careful with the way that he constructed the sentences constructed the paragraphs everything was done in a very thoughtful and deliberate way and um making sure that that I can sort of replicate that has been the most difficult because thinking about what Reacher would do, um, that's something that we've been doing for years for fun. You know, we would we would sit down together, we would hang out and we would joke about it. We'd talk about, people probably would have thought we were crazy that we would be talking about this invisible extra person in the room. You know, what would Reacher do about this? How would he respond to that? So that part of it, you know, that that just sort of naturally morphs into, you know, you're doing the same thing, you're just putting it down on the page. So what Reacher would do, you know, we've been doing that for years. Um, what the what the villains would do, you know, that's something that I really enjoy. You know, it's it's really fun coming up with the, the you know, the the bad guys, you know, that's that's almost the, the most fun part of it. Um, so that again is is something I'm used to doing. But then it's making it sound right has been the thing I've had to really focus on the most because I spent all that time writing books that I was deliberately trying not to sound like my brother. And now I had to, again, do the 180 degree and and, and deliberately try to sound like him. And, um, you know, when it works, it's great because it was such a, always such a pleasure reading his books. So, you know, if I can replicate that style and that, um, that feeling that you get when you, when you read, you know, is wonderful. Uh, this might be a, a tough question to answer, uh, but with the, the popularity of the, of the new Reacher television series, does paying attention to that um, muddy the waters and make it more difficult for you? Or does that help? Or do you just completely distance yourself from it and, and focus on, on the books you're working on? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've really enjoyed the TV series. It was fantastic fun to watch it. Um, but, you know, we've had a vision of Reacher in our heads for, for so many years, you know, for 25 years, that it's, it's resonated really well because Alan Richardson did such a good job of kind of portraying that on the screen. Um, but that was what we were seeing anyway. So it had, I mean, maybe if he'd, if he hadn't portrayed it as well, maybe if there was a sort of, you know, dissonance there, maybe it would have been a bit jarring, but that wasn't the case. So, you know, in my mind, the, the two things just sort of exist happily, but separately, you know? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm when we're writing the, the books, um, yeah, it's there in the back of your mind, the TV thing, but it, it's, it's all, it's all going in the same direction. So it hasn't, it hasn't changed really how I think about the character or how I think about the stories. Um, and part of that is because I, I just think it's dangerous. Maybe some people can do it, but for me, I think it's just dangerous. It's like biting off more than you can chew. You know, when I first started writing, people were saying to me, oh, well, you know, do you think your book will get made into a movie? Do you think it will get made into a TV show? You know, are you planning it that way? And I was like, well, no, because that's just too much to think about, you know? <laughs> you know? I can only I can think about I'm 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 famously bad at multitasking. You know I can't do more than one thing at a time, or else everything just falls to pieces. So you know I can focus on what I think is needed 
to write the book. But if I was then trying to add extra layers of that, oh, and what about the TV? And oh, what about this? What about that? I, I think it would it would be too much. My head would explode. So you know, I'm I'm delighted with the TV. I think it's fantastic, but it's it's separate to to what I'm doing, and it it doesn't really come into my mind when I'm when I'm writing. That's good. Keeping your focus. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you, Andrew. We love having you on the show. Uh, last question for you. Uh, hopefully it'll be a softball, but uh, what are you excited about these days? What's getting you out of bed in the morning? Well, you know, two things really. One is it's, you know, it sounds hokey, I'm sure, but, you know, getting to do something that I love doing uh, and to do it with my brother and, you know, to to be able to put food on the table as a result that is fantastic and also you know as you know you know six years ago we we moved out to to wyoming and i just love being in 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 the net you know the you know the surroundings here they're so peaceful so calm i just love to just get outdoors and just just enjoy being uh being in such a beautiful place all right always uh it's always great to have a follow-up conversation with someone i just feel like we're you know, we're, we're, we're starting like coasting downhill, all, you know, from the, from the very beginning. So it was wonderful to talk to Andrew again. Uh, Zach, I want to, I wanted to start with you, uh, this week, um, in terms of the collaboration piece, since, uh, you, you and I have collaborated and you've collaborated with other people, uh, and you know, the idea setting up justifying the scene, it feels like something we naturally want to do in a collaboration. And, uh, and Andrew said that it kind of ruins it. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, that was definitely interesting to listen to, you know, as someone who, as you said, you know, you and I wrote what 13 books together or something like that, I think. Um, and, 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 and much like them, I mean, our, our process kind of definitely evolved over time and changed, uh, and, you know, theirs was kind of a forced change, I feel like, because of, uh, you know, they mentioned COVID and stuff like that, I, I believe was a big reason uh, they, they some stuff changed. But, uh, yeah, that was really interesting um, because, you know, one of the things with with collaboration and that when people ask me about it, I always tell them, you know, you have to know which battles to pick. And, you know, if you're coming in with an idea and you're justifying it or whatever, it's going to be make it a lot harder for the other person to kind of if they don't think it's a good idea to necessarily um, like let you down and let you know, like, no, I don't think that's direction that we, we should go sort of thing. So um, yeah, that was, that was really, really interesting. And, you know, it was also interesting just hearing about their evolution from um, going to, you know, working every day together, um, which would be difficult for me, you know, cause I, I kind of felt like, at least that's what I gathered and remember from the last interview that, for a while they were basically cause they lived close together. Right. And they were kind of working together in personal lot. And, um, you know, for me, it was kind of <clears throat> always easier for, you know, us to meet in person in the beginning and then kind of go off and do our own thing sort of, sort of thing. But, uh, it was interesting to hear how well they evolved to just doing the email thing and, and, and all that. And it was, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, it, I, I love listening to these guys just because I know they're both coming from complete opposite camps. You know, like Reacher Said Nothing is a, a book that um, I, I talk about all the time. It, a, a reporter sat on Lee's couch while he wrote one of the Jack Reacher books. Um, and it just shows how bare bones it, it all is. Like Lee would basically sit down September 1st. Um, I think he bought a new Mac every time that he did it. Like that was you know his thing. So this was like the first thing he did on the, the computer. Um, and basically he, he would have no real 
idea of where the book is going. He, he might know, you know, where it's going to start um, and maybe one or two little pieces in, at, you know, somewhere in the middle, but, but that's it. And he just kind of let the story unfold. And Andrew is the exact opposite. Like, you know, if you go back and listen to our first interview with him, you know, he would turn out a very detailed outline before he hit the, hit the ground. Um, so I'd love to hear some of the conversations that these two had. Um, for me, like the Reacher character is perfect in a lot of ways. Um, you know, like they can set a Reacher book anywhere that they want. You know, like the next one could be, you know, Reacher gets off a plane in Paris or Reacher is climbing the pyramid in Egypt or Reacher is doing this. It doesn't matter, um, which is, you know, why it is just so perfect. I mean, it's literally just a stranger being dropped into some scenario and it plays out. And that, that's always been, you know, the, the intrigue to me, like in reading one of those books, you don't know where it's going to go, but it just it feels like such a natural evolution. Um, you know, Reacher you know, is basically just being reactive to whatever is going on around him. And he just he doesn't turn a blind eye to whatever is going on. He, so he tends to to drop himself into it. Um, but you know, he's just a guy with stuff is happening around him and he just follows through it. It just makes it a very easy and fun read. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. So you bringing that up is interesting. Cause I, I was thinking earlier, uh, there was something I wanted to ask you specifically. Um, you, you know, I know, I know a big thing in, in the thriller genre is, uh, to do like the Jack Reacher thing to make a, um, you know, have a character that you can just carry on through, as many books as you want sort of thing. And uh, the conversation they were having about, you know, Andrew taking over for Lee, taking that character over. And I, I love Jay that you asked, you know, has Andrew thought about what the next evolution of that is, you know, is, is Andrew, uh, got, you know, thinking about passing it on to somebody else. And um, I don't like, I, it had me thinking about you, JD, cause I know that you haven't um, like none of your book, you haven't done that in your thrillers. Like you, you don't have a Jack Reacher sort of character, um, and I'm curious, like if you've thought about doing that sort of thing, you know, writing a character you could write for 50 books or whatever. And, you know, if that's something you would want to pass on to somebody else eventually. Um, you know, I, I have, and, and like to a certain extent, I've got my, my universe from 4MK. Um, but, you know, I think we talked about this last week, you know, that, that's under option now. There's a studio in, involved and, you know, the, the announcement for that's going to be coming up um, pretty soon. Um, but there's some things in the contract that really threw me. Like in the book that I'm writing now, it's got nothing to do with the 4MK series. But just as a you know Easter egg for my readers, I wanted to use one of the FBI agents that I had in that series. You know, just because it's like, you know, it's a walk on thing and, you know, very short little scene. I just figured it would be fun to read. Um, but by doing that, I basically turned it into uh, an author, um, an author sequel. Um, and it, it tied it up with this particular studio, which means that it's tied to my contract for 4MK. Um, and, and I, I was, I was under the impression that that studio would basically, you know, look at it and if they passed, we could shop it to other studios, but that's actually not the case. They, they lock it down. So for the entire duration of this contract, that book is theirs. Um, so, you know, that turns me off from it in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the way Lee did this, you know, like he actually, he sold his entire catalog initially to, um, I forget the name of the company, but it's Tom Cruise's um, production company. Um, so they licensed all of the, the Lee child books at the, at the get go. And I, I believe that expired and, and now, you know, it's being developed, um, you know, they're in season two on, I forget which network that is. Um, you know, so they're approaching it in a different way. It, it, you know, just, you, you get boxed in. Um, I love the idea of having a character like that, but I don't know that I would want to revisit that same character over and over again, you know, but you know, it, it works for so many authors. I just, I feel like I would get bored with that. Yeah. I have, I have a, I have a good friend who's indie who does that. And, um, I think he's on like book 50 in his series and stuff. And, 
like I asked him, like, dude, how do you keep going? Like other, I mean, he makes really good money. I mean, you know, like seven figures off that series, but you know, I was like, other than the money, how do you keep it going? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I just love the character and find a way to make it, make, make it stay interesting. Well, see, that's why Jack Reacher works so well, because you've got a guy who literally has no baggage. You know, the, the guy has no bags, you know, he's got a toothbrush in his back pocket and a passport and then he, you know, so he's got nothing he's carrying with him. You know, the second you give your character a job, now all of a sudden that job has to become part of your series. You give him a love interest, that love interest has to become part of your series. So the more baggage you give your character, the more baggage you're carrying over story to story. And I think that's where that gets heavy and gets difficult to do. Um, and, and Lee and now his brother have been able to, you know, keep the Jack Reacher character, you know, basically slim and nimble. You know, you could take a Jack Reacher novel and you could change the name from Jack Reacher to something else you know it could be a standalone and it would be a, a good book um but you know, they could drop them into any scenario that they wanted to you know and i think that's why it stays fresh for them without getting you into any kind of trouble i wanted to also ask you about the the author voice thing that we talked about with andrew and how that works with you and uh, and uh, james patterson <laughs> well with us it doesn't <laughs> um, which is, which is kind of, kind of the fun. Um, you know, like I, I told, it's funny because I, I spent so many years working as a book doctor and ghostwriter and I'm, I'm autistic. And I think we've talked about this on the air, but if I immerse myself in a particular author, I can mimic their voice, which I did for Dracul. You know, I, I listened to, um, the audiobook for Dracula on a constant repeat. I read everything that Bram Stoker wrote. Um, so by the time I sat down to write that book, I knew what his vocabulary was. I knew what his cadence was, his writing style. And I was able to mimic that. And that's something that I've made a lot of money doing for, for other people. Um, um, when I talked to Jim, I, you know, I basically told him I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, the reason that I broke out on my own, is I had six New York Times bestsellers, all with other people's names on the cover that I wrote. And that just got crazy frustrating. So I said, the only way that I could, I could do something with you is if you allow me to write in my own voice or come up with something that kind of works, you know, with, with the two of us, um, which is one of the reasons why I've got equal billing with them on the covers. You know, like our, our names are the same size and, and, you know, the, the big countries. Um, and, and he agreed to that, you know, he, and he understood it, you know, which, which is cool. I mean, he's an incredibly nice guy. Um, that being said, like if I had to, I could sit down and I could write in James Patterson's voice. I could write in, you know, whoever's voice if I wanted to. Um, the, the, difference is like I can mimic their, the mechanics of it. I can duplicate the stuff I just mentioned and I can make my sentence look and sound and feel like it's one of theirs. What I can't duplicate is the creativity behind them. You know, like I can't get into Lee Child's head and, and come up with the story that he would come up with. I could tell the story if he told me what the story was and I could tell it in his voice, but I couldn't create the story. And I guess that's the real difference. I don't want to stray too far away from Andrew and stuff, but you just, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. I'm kind of interested in some stuff you said now, because I know that uh, you know, something with a lot of autistic people is exactly what you said. Like they find ways to mimic other people and their actions and so like the way they act socially and stuff. And I find it really interesting that you kind of took, turn that on its head and turn it into an advantage for ghost writing and working with, with Jim and stuff like that. And I, I guess like, I'm curious, did that make it hard for you to find your own voice in any way? Um, I, I think it did. And like, it's, I don't know. I've, I've struggled with that one quite a bit um, because for the first couple of books, I wasn't sure I actually had my own voice, you know, because I was reading other people. And I was like, you know, maybe this sounds like so-and-so or maybe it sounds like this person. Um, but when I actually did notice that I really did have my own voices, when I went back from a project where I had worked with somebody else and actually sat down and wrote my own, um, and I realized that I got three or four chapters in before I actually found my voice again. Like I, I noticed that there actually was a difference. The first couple chapters felt very much like the book that I had just finished. And then all of a sudden I settled into my own real voice and, and, you know, I, I realized what it 
was. So I, I do have my own author voice that I, that I can use. Um, you know, being autistic, I don't know how much of it really is me. I think it's, it's probably a mix of absolutely everybody that I read. Because, um, yeah, that's one of the things that they teach us. Like, I, I didn't know I was autistic until I was 22. That's when I got diagnosed and when I sat down and started going to therapy and stuff for it. So I had a, a hellish childhood, you know, dealing with a lot of that. Uh, but when, in therapy for it, you know, that was basically what they taught us. When you're in a social situation, look at other people, mimic the facial expressions, you know, mimic the, you know, if they're laughing, you should be laughing. If, you know, they're smiling, you should be smiling. You know, just it, it happens in a millisecond. But, you know, that's essentially what autistic people are doing. Um, and it's it's extremely draining, too. It's that's another aspect of it they don't talk about. But it's it's work, you know, where everybody else is hanging out and having fun. I'm basically just trying to, to keep up and, you know, keep up an appearance of having fun. Um, so it's a, it's a very different thing. It's kind of like what your dog is doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a robot. Robot dog. <laughs> it's, 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 sitting, it's sitting right outside my office door right now. Just hanging out. <laughs> Learning how to podcast. Learning how to podcast. I, I, I also... Uh, in the, in the interview, I, I think Andrew called it madness and I called it magic. And I immediately thought about JD saying that you can teach someone how to be a writer, but not necessarily how to be a storyteller. And, and I kind of, I kind of heard your voice in that moment. And I, and I was wondering like, if, do you think that's what Andrew was talking about when he was talking about the, the madness of, of the, the creative uh, energy? Uh, I, th I think that's part of it. Um, I mean, you can, when I, I read No Plan B, the new book, and you can feel, you know, Lee all over that. You can tell that, you know, the story idea was probably his, um, you know, they may have worked it out together and stuff, but like there's certain beats that just feel very much like other Reacher books. Um, so there's that. Um, but just knowing how they write, I think, you know, like Andrew might come up with a particular scene, you know, which impacts what he feels the next scene is going to be. And that impacts what the next scene is going to be. Um, and that changes everything versus Lee, who basically just sits down and, you know, really has no idea where he's going next. And he just still write a couple of pages. If it doesn't work, hit the delete key and go back and, and try again. Um, I'm kind of seeing that just working on my latest book because I do have an outline for it, but I stray from it a little bit. Um, I guess the, the I'm trying to think of an easy way to explain it, but it's almost like um, writing in an alternate universe. You know, like you know that the story could have played out like this over here, but it's playing out like this instead, and it's almost the same, but it's just slightly different. Um, and and those differences are being dictated by you know whatever. So I guess in Andrew's world, it's being dictated by Lee. Um, so he, but he's. It sounds like he's learning to to go with that. And and the funny thing that I, that I get out of this, it sounds like they had a four book deal. Um, basically, after Lee decided he was going to retire, it sounds like they they signed a four book deal. Um, and you know Lee, I think he was initially you know planning on handing this off. And we we have an interview with him where I think he talks about this a little bit. Um, but I think he's actually enjoying this. I think he you know he got probably got burnt out you know writing that same story over and over. As, as much fun as it must have been, you know he wanted to take a step back. But I think he caught a little bit of a breather. And working with his brother is brought in some some fresh air and I, I think he's he feels to me it feels like he's enjoying it a lot more than he probably would have um and if Andrew hadn't have stepped in there's a very good chance that you know Lee might have just killed Reacher off I mean he's he's talked about that before you know Reacher being found dead in a in a hotel room somewhere um and that may still be coming you know maybe there is no book five who knows spoiler yeah <laughs> no <laughs> now one, one other thing to touch on real quick um before we get out of here I, I was uh you know, when you guys talk about research, that was kind of interesting. Um, and, and him making the point of, you know, not really feeling like he needed to location scout because he felt like when he uses locations in there, it's places that should, you should be familiar with is, is kind of what I got out of it and stuff. And I found that was, a uh, like really true, you know? Um, it, cause I feel like even 
like even visiting a place, you know, like wants to get a feel for it. I don't know if you can really get a feel for a place, you know, like that. And I, I specifically thought of, you know, Jay, when we wrote Final Awakening, one of my favorite uh, bad reviews we got was it, it, the guy said something along the lines of, yeah, these guys went to New Orleans one time and thought they knew about it. And I was like, you're always going to have that one like jerk who is from there and is going to pick out anything. But I'm, but I was laughing. Cause I was like, man, and I can speak for you too. Like I know that city. I know the vibe of that. I've, I've spent more time in new Orleans than any city I haven't lived in, you know? And, and so um, I'm very comfortable writing stories there. Cause I know that city and the vibe and the people and everything. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Him talking about that. Well, you just, you nailed it. I mean, the, the, the trick, like if you're going to go to a place, learning the vibe is the one thing that you, you really mm -hmm. need to do. You know, New Orleans has a certain life to it. You know, it's, it's, it, it, and every city does. And I think if you're going to take the time to actually go to one, you need to figure out what that unique little twist is for that particular city. Everything else you can get home and you can go on Google and you can get the streets, you can, you know, get the locations, you can do, you know, pull up a, a real building and you can step inside, um, you know, and do all that virtually. Everything you need to do is, is on Google. Um, but you can't duplicate that vibe unless you've actually been there. So if you want to make a city feel real, you need, you need to do that. Um, one of the other things that Andrew brought up that, um, I don't think it's talked about a whole lot, but, you know, they sit down and they ask, well, what would Reacher do? Um, I, you know, I, I think a lot of authors need to sit down and not only ask that question of their main character, but ask it of other, you know, other characters. So what would this character do in this particular situation? Okay. They would react like this. Okay. Well, how would this one do, you know, deal with that particular situation? How would this one deal with it? And all of those answers should be different, you know, because your characters are different people. So if all of your characters are dealing with the situation the exact same way, then it's really you as the author who's dealing with it. And you haven't really found your people yet. Um, so I think it's important that that authors actually make that distinction. You, you just gave me a great idea. My name, my main character's name is John South. I'm going to get one of those WWJD bracelets and just wear it when I'm when I'm writing my <laughs> books, my deep south books, as you call your, them, your deep south books. They're awesome, by the way. <clears throat> Oh, uh, more deep south. That's what we need. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as always, thanks to Andrew for coming on. Great conversationist, uh, really deep thinking, introspective guy. I, I love yeah. he always brings a concept or two up that I, you know, it, it changes the way I think about things. So uh, always, always great to have him on the show. J.D., who's up next week? Next week, we've got Ruth Ware coming on. Um, she's international number one bestseller of, of multiple thrillers um, in a dark, dark wood. The woman in cabin 10, the lion game, the death of Miss Westaway. Um, I, her latest is called the it girl and it releases July 12th. So Ruth Ware. Excellent. Looking forward to it already. If you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.